Blog Talk Radio. Right. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. I've got a great show for you tonight. First up, as always, uh, another great, exciting round of uh, f- on the first hour of Coach's Corner. I've got two great gentlemen. Uh, both have been on the show a number of times, and uh, always glad to have them on and, and joining into the discussion. And then a little bit later on, I've got a, a first-time guest, a very special guest, uh, David Schultz, who is the founder of Reality Golf. Some of you in the golf industry may have uh, may be familiar with David and, and uh, what he represents and uh, it's a, a very interesting concept, and we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later when he uh, comes on the show in the second half. But uh, in the meantime, uh, let me just remind everybody, of course, we are live uh, every Thursday evening uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com. And the easiest way to find us, go to blogtalkradio.com, uh, and up in the search key, you can type in Golf Talk Live, and that will take you to the main page. And, of course, uh, right front and center on the page will always be the live broadcast. Uh, but if you're not able to join us during... Uh, tonight's uh, show, not a problem. Just go to that link, blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live, and just scroll down to the on demand section. Uh, as I've mentioned many, many times in the past, the, the shows, of course, are uh, auto recorded. So if you can't tune in live, not to worry. You can go down in the on demand section and you can listen to them uh, when it's convenient for you. But uh, for those of you joining me live tonight, thank you very much and always glad uh, when you do. And don't forget, if you want to feel, if you feel like jumping in the, the conversation anytime through the broadcast, you're welcome to do so by calling in uh, area code 646 716 4667. Or you can email questions or comments to me personally at Ted dot golf talk live at gmail.com and uh, also if you're uh, in the golf industry whether you're a teacher professional coach or, or an entrepreneur in the golf profession and you want to come on the show uh, and share your thoughts and, and interest of course about this game that we all love uh, dearly uh, i'd love to hear from you and i'll see if i can get you in the mix so again you can reach out to me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com and as always every week i update on social media uh, you can go to facebook.com and type in Golf Talk Live blog, that's B-L-O-G on the end there, and uh, that's the main page for the show, and you can uh, uh, post your comments there, or or you can uh, like uh, the page while you're visiting if you haven't done so already. And you can also follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Ted and Buck uh, CEO. CEO, of course, is in capital letters. And also on LinkedIn.com, if you type in uh, Ted Odorico, and it's O-D-O-R-I-C-O, that will bring you up to uh, my LinkedIn page, and I update uh, there under uh, updates uh, on that page as well. So lots of great places to find the show. And you can also uh, go to iTunes.com or Stitcher.com. And again, type in Golf Talk Live up in the search key on either one, iTunes.com or Stitcher.com, and you can listen to it uh, in its podcast version there as well. So um, lots of different ways to connect with the show. Uh, always uh, appreciate uh, everybody tuning in uh, each and every week. And uh, first and foremost, before I bring the guys on the panel, uh, let me just apologize as I was just telling the guys off air, 
Uh, last week we had a little bit of a mishap, and, and it happens from time to time. I certainly understand, uh, as I've said so many times on the show, I greatly appreciate the time that many of these professionals uh, have given uh, coming on Golf Talk Live. They're giving up their spare time. They're out working uh, to help you guys out there uh, become better golfers and uh, fulfill your golf dreams, if it will, whether you're uh, a professional or whether you're just a, a weekend golfer. It doesn't matter. We try to help all of them here on the show um, but uh, very giving of their time, so I, I appreciate that. And sometimes uh, they get a little bit too busy out there in the golf course, and uh, they get a little bit late or sometimes don't show up at all. And last week, of course, we had that happen with the Coach's Corner panel. Um, my good friends John Hughes and Todd Elliott were scheduled to be on here, and uh, both have apologized profusely and uh, certainly uh, forgiven and accepted. It happens, as I said, so certainly no hard feeling, guys. Um, but uh, I just want to apologize to the audience for, for uh, tuning in and, and not hearing the Coach's Corner. Um, but uh, anyways, as I said, we're going to start off with Coach's Corner panel. Uh, two guests I've got tonight are Pete Buchanan, who's been on the show many times, and Michael Wheeler. Let me just tell you a little bit about the guys, and then I'll bring them out here, uh, and we'll start the conversation. Uh, Pete Buchanan, as I said, has been on many, many times. He's the founder and director of instruction and owner of Plain Simple Golf. Uh, Plain Simple Golf, of course, houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit, and the Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. Uh, he's taught over the past 30 years, and Pete has been simplifying through those 30 years uh, his golf swing philosophy in an effort to make it simple uh, for players like you and I to play this great game. Uh, also, uh, Michael Wheeler uh, just got a new position here just a few short weeks ago. We'll ask him very quickly about that in a second. Uh, PG, he's now the PGA Director of Instruction for Troon Golf Academy uh, up at uh, Lake of Isles in North Stonington, uh, Connecticut. So he's moving on up uh, in, in the world, as they say. And some of his certifications include, of course, he's PGA uh, certified professional in teaching and coaching. Uh, he's TrackMan Level 2 instructor and KVEST Level 2 instructor as well. Uh, Swing Catalyst Level 1 instructor and certified right balance instructor. So lots of great certifications, lots of great ways to help you guys out there. Um, but let's get into the discussion tonight. Uh, Pete and Michael, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Ed. Good to be here. I appreciate it. Um, just one last thing before we start. Uh, Michael, just very quickly, uh, you, you were saying off air, this has just been a few short weeks that you've started this new new position? Yeah, I uh, got hired about uh, five weeks ago. started uh, three weeks ago because I have a three-week-old baby at home, so started a little later than after I got hired. So uh, it's, been a, it's been quite a transition between new baby, 19-month-old, and a new job in a different state. So it's been quite a transition. Wow. Well, congratulations, uh, obviously, on the job, but first and foremost on welcoming uh, a new little one into the world, so congratulations on that. And uh, I think the last time you were on here, um, you had uh, your, your other little one, I think, was in your lap. I think you were babysitting that night. Uh, so uh, your, your firstborn, of course, was part of the show, I think, that night. But uh, congratulations, Michael, and, and uh, good luck with the new position as well. Thank you. You're, you're very welcome. All right, guys, uh, I want to talk about um, tonight, we're going to talk about confidence. I know we've, we've sort of brushed on this a little bit, and there's a reason why I want to talk about this. I, I think that a lot of golfers out there, um, both at the professional level and certainly at the amateur level, at times lack confidence. And there's a lot of components to it. We're going to touch on some of those tonight. And the first, uh, I guess foremost, and Pete, I'm going to start with you if you don't mind uh, in tonight's discussion. Uh, we're going to talk about cause and effect, and I just want to read out a couple of little things here. I've made some notes. Um, you know, as instructors, you know, we experience uh, and, and advise, of course, 
various golfers, whether it be skilled or, or as I said, amateurs whose scores have dipped or who have lost their sort of um, confidence or metal, uh, if you will, from tee to green. And a lot of different various reasons why they've done that. And I want to, I guess, and I'm going to talk to, about from the professional level from from a set, and then we're going to sort of relay it over into the amateurs. You know, as a golf coach or, or a professional, uh, teaching professional, um, how would you help somebody, whether it be Tiger Woods, uh, you know, Ian Baker Finch comes to mind as well, David Duvall, of other, uh, who have sort of lost the feel for their game. Um, you know, if you were has sort of could bend their ear for a few minutes, what were maybe some things that you would say to them? They've all experienced, um, some worse than others, have experienced tremendous slumps in their game. And, and I think a lot of times it's due to lack of confidence in, in certain issues. Sometimes, in, you know, in case of Tiger, where he's made multiple swing changes over the years. But um, there has certainly been here lately, uh, over the last several years, a lack of confidence in his game. And there's sort of that cause and effect. Talk a little bit about that, if you would. And, and again, if you had... Any, either of those gentlemen, uh, if you could bend their ear for a few moments, what would you say to them to, to try and work through that process? Well, the first thing I would do is, in, in any case like that, I'd ask them to actually understand what's going on. I mean, you're talking cause and effect, and you'd be really surprised at how many really high-level players have no idea what they're doing. They know how to play, yep. but they don't understand any of the cause and effect of why they hit the shots they hit. And I think one of the big things that I try to work on with a lot of guys is, and, and I'm, I'm in the middle of this right now with, with one of my players, I told him, I said, you, you already know how to play. You haven't forgotten how to play yep. golf. The trouble is, is when you're out there hitting shots, you have no understanding of why they're, they're happening and how to go about changing it so that they don't happen, and, and even if we have to guard against it. So if we can get them to understand from a cause standpoint, why are you hitting the shots you hit? And then right. from that point, how do we go about changing that and putting it into practice, how we're going to move and maneuver to hit those shots? And if you do see them, to have a, a game plan on, on how to tackle them. And, and I think whether it's a professional or even on down to the amateur, I think one of the most frustrating things in golf, it, it's bad enough to hit, to hit bad shots, but if you don't know why, mm-hmm. it's even worse. But if you have an understanding of why, at least you can go about and have a way to get out of that. And then I also would like to, I said, I'll put them on the tee box, and I would say, you know, hit me your go-to shot. If if push comes to shove and you've got to pull something out of your hat, what shot shape are you going to hit? What are you going to do? Yeah. And then get them to understand that and say you have to have something to go to when it's falling apart. And so that's that's the way I, I think I would approach it. Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent point, um, and and we'll talk a little bit about that um, about that go-to shot in a little bit uh, of time. But um, Michael, I, I want to switch gears a little bit with you. Uh, certainly on the same concept, I want to give you an opportunity to, to you know if you had had the position uh, or the the uh, foresight, if you will, to to speak with somebody uh, you know on the tour that maybe was in a difficult stretch or slump, if you will. Um, and, and I know there's lots of debate. Well, you know, are, is so-and-so really in a slump? You know, t- Tiger has often said that, uh, you know, he, he wasn't really in a slump. He was making changes. Um, but, you know, if you could have their ear for a few minutes, um, based on what we've just been talking about, what Pete just laid out, what would you want to talk to them or what would you want to discuss with them um, to maybe help them understand where, the, where they're losing ground and why they're experiencing the experience that they are when, when they're not playing at their best? 
Well, I mean, the confidence is an interesting thing because, you know, a lot of times it's like the chicken and egg thing, which comes first, confidence or performance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, personally, I think confidence has to come first, you know, because performance, yeah, it's going to improve, but without confidence, you're going to struggle anyways. But, you know, usually what I do with a better player, I mean, with Tiger, those guys, it's a little different because you actually have some video they could fall back on and say, look, I want you to watch some of your old footage and, and just kind of visualize what you felt when you hit those shots, the confidence level that you had, the the, the almost borderline cockiness that you had because you right. walk up to a shot and think there's no way I'm going to miss this shot. That's, you know, that's the, it, you don't have to tell people that's what you're thinking, but that's the thought process you need to have behind it. So one of the first things I would have them write down in their journal, I have all my students keep a, a, a teaching or a, a, a learning journal and I would right. just have them write down when you were playing your best golf, what were your thought processes? What were you thinking? Did you, sometimes like Pete said, they, they don't know the answer. So we need to find it. Um, but a lot of times the better players and the amateurs, you know, they'll say, Hey, when I'm, when I'm playing well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not thinking about anything but the target and I'm, the, the mist doesn't even come into my mind. And when they're playing their worst, the first thing they think about is, oh, there's water, there's out of bounds, there's this, there's that. Your mind doesn't hear that I don't want to hit it in the water. All your mind hears is water. That's that's it. Yep. You need to focus on what you're trying to accomplish, not what you're going, you know, not what you're you're trying to not accomplish. If you're building a business, you know, you're not going to think, okay, well, I don't want to do this, this, this. No, you're going to build a business plan and say, here's what I'm going to do and here's what I'm going to do it by. So you need to have the same approach to your to to your improvement philosophy of okay well here's where I'm struggling let's take a look at you know where I'm struggling and let's just go back and and one of my favorite sayings is fake it till you make it you know if you don't have confidence just fake it you know and and not many people have pay attention um, you know I, I think Annika's quote was pay attention she's always paying attention to her intention so right you know there's too many people that don't do those two things that uh, if, if you know you need to pay attention to your intention and focus on the things that you can control and just stay focused on the process. And unfortunately, a lot of people see the bad shots and think, "Up, oh, downward spiral." No, I don't want to hit in the water. No, I don't want to do this. Well, stop focusing on what you don't want. Focus on what you do want. Yeah, well said, um, Michael. You know something that that's interesting, and 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 I want to touch about on um, what what Pete had said about um, you know that go-to shot. But I want to just make a quick point and and kind of get both of your your thoughts on this as well. You know, one of the differences that I see with amateurs and and, and the professionals is, is that if the amateur uh, experiences uh, maybe a, a bad hole or two, they'll start to make um, drastic changes out in the golf course. They'll actually try to reinvent the wheel while they're out playing in the golf course. Um, the professional might make a, a, a slight tweak or modification because they know through their experience um, what's the cause and effect is. They know that if they're hitting a ball uh, a certain, um, you know, off, off direction, if you will, from what their intended line is, they know pretty much why, uh, well why it's doing. If there's a major change that needs to make, the difference between the professional and the amateur is the professional weight until he or she is off the golf course and, and do that on the practice tee where the amateur won't do that. Um, Pete, you raised an interesting point uh, about uh, having that go-to shot. Uh, you know, a lot of amateurs don't have that. The professionals certainly do. You know, Jack always, uh, of course, hit that high fade. Um, he was a, a phenomenal fader of the ball. And one of the things that 
a lot of the top professionals do. They do have a shot. You know, uh, Tiger had uh, a shot as well that he would go to uh, when he wasn't hitting at his best. But the amateur doesn't do that. Um, why is it important to have that first off? And how do we help them sort of develop that sort of go-to shot? Pete, I'm going to go back to you. Well, I think it's just important from a, as you're talking about confidence, if they, if they have a shot they know they can hit, then when they're struggling, they can just go to it. And it gives them at least an opportunity to, you know, get some contact, get the ball back in a direction and, and sort of move them along while they're playing and, you know, help them to get, get through the round. You know, one of the things I like to do, and, you know, I'm, I'm big, and, and I've said this before, I'm, I'm big on ball flight and cause and effect, and I like to give them, you know, I work towards neutral because I've always found if you know where neutral is, right and left are easy to find. And so I right. work them all towards straight, and then I say, okay, now here we're going to go right to left and left to right, and we're going to find out which of these is easier for you to do. So when you're stuck, which one of these can you better adapt yourself to hit? And I want you to find which shot that is and find out which one you can play on a consistent basis. And that will be your go-to shot. Uh, it, it, some of them, it might be, you know, just a, what they feel is like a pitch swing where they just gear it down and, you know, they pitch it with a six iron. So they just take more club uh, for where they're going. But it's just working into each individual person to find for them a setup and I always like to work it through the setup. I said, if you're going to change the shot patterns, you need to change it by how you address it. Let the setup change what's going on with the contact. And that way it's always easier to get it done. If you're trying to change the swing without changing anything else, it's too difficult to do that. So let the address yeah. position changes that you make between the grip, aim, stance, posture, how you set yourself up, let those be the changes you make to adapt the ball flight. And again, you know, find out which one of those you can you can go to when you're getting when you're stuck out there. Yeah, and, and you know, um, again, an excellent point, Pete. Thanks. Um, you know, Michael, one of the other things too, talking about making changes to the swing. You know, we often see, and, and certainly not all of the players. You know, certainly most of the players out in the PGA Tour and even the LPGA Tour will certainly make some modifications or, or alterations, if you will, uh, to uh, whatever swing they currently have. Um, but there have been those few players, Nick Faldo comes to mind, um, of course, Tiger Woods and, and a few others that have gone through drastic swing changes. And what the interesting thing is, is it's not because of lack of performance um, that these players were not hitting the ball well or not playing great golf. It was sort of that, that um, seeking that perfection. It was sort of almost like to the point where um, they were obsessed, obsessed, excuse me, of, of, hitting that, that sort of perfect uh, uh, note, if you will, in, in their golf swing. And, and we don't see that as much with, obviously, amateurs and that. But, again, uh, do you think that that's partially related to, to confidence in the golfer or is it just, um, again, the, the, the uh, golfer? And I'm talking back to the professionals, of course. Uh, is it a lack of confidence, do you think, in, in what they're currently uh, got in their bag or is it um, something else, do you think? In, in I think it's more. I don't think it's as much confidence as they're they're always trying to to do something to improve themselves to give themselves a better chance to win every week. You know, you got to understand what the guys out there. You know, I have a couple of mini tour players that I work with that you know they're all they're trying to do is make a living, and then the guys that are on the PGA tour they're trying to do things, whatever it is. So let's take Tiger for example in 2000. 
2001, you know, that I mean, that that was as good a golf as we may ever see. I mean, you could almost say Lydia Ko right now, the way she's dominating the LPGA Tour is very reminiscent of what Tiger did in the early 2000s. Um, you know, but they're always striving to get better. And in Tiger's case in the early 2000s, um, you know, based on talks I've had with other instructors, he was trying to get rid of that left miss. And his miss was still a hook. And um, when he went to Hank, he weakened the grip, started playing a fade, got rid of the hook. Um, you know, but uh, I think he, he still got away from what he what he was doing was working. Did he still have a left miss? Yeah, but the way I try and teach it to, especially with the better players, but just players in general, let's try to eliminate one side of the golf course. If you're, you know, if you can get a consistent shot shape based on your body, you know, the, your body makeup and your body physique or, or what Mike Adams might call your blueprint, by the way, congratulations to Mike, this one national PGA teacher of the year. Well, mm. uh, well deserved there. Um, wanted to throw that out to Mike, but uh, you know, making a swing change based just to make a swing change is always the wrong move. You need to make a swing change to try and get a, a different result in either performance or to try and, you know, do something better under pressure. Um, and I think a lot of guys out there, and you see this a lot with guys that that get their card and then lose their card. They leave the coach that they were working with to go with a, a higher-name coach, and not, not to say that that higher-name coach is bad by any stretch of the imagination, but um, they stopped what they were doing that was working. They got them there, and they started doing something else because they thought it was the right thing to do. So I don't think it's as much confidence as it is the striving to always get better which is never a bad yeah. thing, but I think you can – golf to me is not a game that can be perfected. It's a game that can be managed. Um, you're, ne- you're never going hit, to hit 70 perfect shots or 60 perfect shots or 54 perfect shots. Jack Nicklaus yeah. in his best rounds of golf, he would hit four or five perfect shots. And usually those are the ones that didn't go in the hole. <laughs> yep. so, <laughs> yeah, that's you know, true. <laughs> golf is a game of misses. You need to learn how to right. manage your misses. And if we can eliminate one side of the golf course, it will make the game a lot easier. Yeah, uh, well well said. And and, uh, and uh, thank you for, for bringing up uh, that point uh, that Jack has, has said many times. And, and, and it's right, you know, rightly so. You know, you're not going to hit. And, and I think this is something that a lot of the amateurs don't understand. I think the professionals do because they've, they've played the game enough um, they've been out there enough and they understand um, just through trial and error what works. But, and I think this is why you see so many um, seasoned golfers uh, you know, at an amateur level. As, as we get older, I think people accept the fact that they're not going to hit a perfect shot. They understand that. But I think when you're a little bit younger, you know, there's a certain cockiness, a certain arrogance that you're, you're going to conquer the world, so to speak. And I think that's in every aspect of life, not just in golf. But um, I think reality sets in as you age and mature, um, you know, that you understand that you're not going to hit everything perfect, but it's how you manage um, those misses, as you pointed out, Michael, that that's going to be able to um, make or break a, a good round. Um, I, I want to move on to, to um, really two points here. Uh, we really go hand in hand. And first, let me, again, just uh, read a quick note I made here. Um, you know, I've often said, and, and as many others have, of course, that, that, we compare golf in many, many ways to life. Um, there's sort of an ebb and flow, if you will, uh, certainly some challenges and, and, uh, and joy that we get, uh, when playing golf. 
and and really the ability as you talk about to, to Michael to manage the um, uh, you know the the misses if you will um, we're going to get faced with with as I like to call sort of weather the storms and really how we we come out of those storms uh, is going to dictate whether we've learned anything or not and and Pete I'm going to go to you first off. Um, you know, patience and, and, and being diligent, of course, in, in your efforts is extremely important. I'd like for you maybe just to touch base a little bit on those two points, if you wouldn't mind. Well, you know, one of the things I've said about golf, you have to be patient with golf, otherwise you become one. Um, you know, you have, to, you have to have a certain amount of understanding of not only what you're trying to do, but having an amount of time to make it happen. Um, and I think from from being patient, but also in, in a confidence standpoint, you know, you also have to buy into what you're doing. I mean, you have to be a hundred percent sure that what you're doing is the correct thing to do. Um, you know, you can obviously tell it with, with the impacts that you're making and the things that are going on. But I think, you know, you just have to be able to, to, you know, confidence is, is such a difficult thing to do. If, I mean, if you're hitting good shots, it's easier to do. If you're playing well, it's easier to do. Um, but I think from a from an overall standpoint of, of understanding what's supposed to happen and what you're trying to do, you know, I think the better off the better a player fully understands, you know, all in of, of what they're trying to do, the types of shots they're trying to hit, how it affects what's going on. And and I think, you know, in a in a round of golf there's plenty of time if you make a mistake to, to make up for it. And so you just have to in back to that patience thing, you just have to wait and, and let it come to you. It's easy to panic when you're in trouble, you know, and I think yep. if you can just take the time to, you know, sit back and, you know, I, I can, I'll tell you even a personal story. We, I went to qualify for a tournament and we figured even far was going to get in. And I bogeyed the first six holes. So I thought, well, this is fun, mm. you know, and rather than throwing <laughs> a towel, I said, well, I have plenty of time and maybe I can get something done. And lo and behold, I, I don't know what happened. I birdied the next six. So it's just one of those right. things that happens. You know, you can't, you, you can't you can't just let you know something like that get to you. You have to you have to have the time to do it, the time to settle down and, and um, you know let things come to you. And um, I've always said too, you know, the time to you know when you're in trouble is not the time to panic. You know that's uh, I mean you have to just get yourself back out of trouble. You know when you're in trouble, if you panic, you're just going to get in more trouble. So you know you want to make sure that yep. you get yourself out get yourself back safely where you need to be and then play on from there. It's only one shot, you know, it's just right, one. Exactly. I mean, you can make up, you might make a 30 footer and make up for it. So you just have to wait. Right. And, and I think from the amateur standpoint, I mean, I think that's something that they really have to understand because, you know, it's, you know, the first couple of holes, you know, that you hit a couple of balls out of play and then they're like, Oh, well, this round's gone, you know? And, and so, you know, you just have to take the time to, to say, okay, I got plenty of holes left. I got plenty of time. Let's just uh, let's just keep going at what we're doing and you know take it from there. Exactly, um, some great points and and right uh, again right on the money, Pete. Thank you. Um, you know, Michael, just going back to to the pros here for a second. You know, I, I mentioned three uh, professionals, of course, Tiger, uh, Ian Baker, Finch, and, and David Duvall. One of the differences, I think, and and this sort of falls into what you know what we're talking about um, between the three of them is. Is Tiger has, of course, made um, multiple changes multiple times, 
Um, and, and certainly I would say at this point, maybe he's lost a little bit of the feel that he once did. And, and again, that could be partially, uh, due to age. I think as we get older, our feel isn't quite as, as sharp as it was when we were younger. Um, but he's always managed to, 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 you know, resurface and, and again, become a great player. Um, but in the case of Ian Baker Finch and David Duvall, um, it became a little bit more, um, you know, and I hate to use this term, but permanent, um, especially with Ian Baker Finch. I mean, he was a phenomenal uh, ball striker. He was a great player. Um, but again, in that pursuit for that sort of perfect, uh, you know, uh, perfect, not necessarily perfect swing, but, um, you know, that sort of pursuit of perfection, if you will, um, he lost a lot of confidence and he lost that feel and ability and was never able to regain it. And same with David Duvall. And yet they were both very accomplished players. Um, and the amateurs, you know, I, I think kind of fall a little bit into that category, not through vast swing changes, um, but when that confidence and that feel has sort of lost, they don't know how to regroup. So, and, and, and doubt becomes in, how do we eliminate that doubt? What can we do or how can we help uh, the average golfer out there uh, eliminate that doubt? Obviously, there's going to be some doubt creeping in at, at some point. Um, but that's a big thing because once doubt starts coming in, then fear sets in. And once you've sort of crossed that threshold, uh, you're looking at uh, some major issues. So let, let's talk about eliminating the doubt. What can we do to help golfers out there? Uh, well, I mean, everybody is going to have doubt at some point during every round of golf. If you if you get through a full round of golf and say, I wasn't doubtful on any one swing or any one club choice or anything like that, I'd say, you might be lying. Now, I'm not saying it's not possible, but I'm just saying that right. you're, you're going to come across, you're going to doubt something, whether it's a, cl- a club choice, a wind direction, something, but you still have to make a conscious decision to commit. Um, so I think it's a, it's a combination of, of making that conscious decision of going through, you know, focusing on the pre-shot routine and sticking with your, again, you know, we've talked about process here, you know, sticking with mm-hmm. the process of going through your routine, going through, you know, you know, and focusing on, you know, hey, what is this? What's the wind direction? What's the club choice? What are the conditions? You know, am I playing in a tournament? Do I, you know, am I amped up with adrenaline right now? If we're talking tour players, you know, t- t- looking, yep. going through the full motion. And then when you cross that imaginary line from what, you know, uh, you know, Lynn and Lynn Mary and Pia Nelson would call the think box and the play box, you would, you know, you're you're committing to the shot. You were just saying, okay, well, if I have the wrong club, it is what it is. I still have to make a committed swing here and just make a good, confident pass at the ball. Um, I'd rather, you know, I've told my juniors this a lot. I'd rather see you make a confident, committed swing with the wrong club than an, a, a non-confident, guardy, you know, guarding swing with the right club. Because the one, usually, the one with the right, the wrong club is probably going to work out a little bit better than that one that you're not too confident with. Um, but, you know, I think the other piece of that is, is um, you know, I'm kind of big on visualization and and going through a thought process of, okay, well, if I hit a bad shot, all right, let's, let's remove the doubt from my mind. I'm going to close my eyes, feel what that good shot would have felt like, make a good practice swing. If you watch tour players and a good player, uh, you know, you could watch Ricky Fowler or any of them. Ricky's, you know, got some up, ups and downs lately. He's had some really good weeks. Sure. He's had some really bad weeks. But if you watch him play and you watch his demeanor between shots, you really can't tell if he's playing good or bad. 
He's, no. he's got a very even keel throughout the entire round. Now, when you hit a bad shot, are you going to get a little down on yourself? Yeah, that's normal. It's natural. It's, you're a human being. You're going to hit bad shots. Accept the fact that you're going to hit bad shots. But give yourself 20 to 30 seconds and say, man, that was bad. All right, well, let's, no, let's think about the cause and effect like what Pete was talking about before. If the ball started way to the right, well, then square the club face up. Face was pointing out to the right for whatever reason. Was it my alignment? Just take a few, take a few seconds just to say, all right. Well, why did the ball do what it did? Then make a make another swing, visualize the ball flying to the target the way it would have, and then forget about it. Move on. It's over. It's done. Like with anything in life, we're going to make mistakes. It is going to happen. If you go into a round of golf thinking, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna make any mistakes, you are setting yourself up for failure. Your best rounds of golf, at least personally, you know, I played, I've played a lot of competitive golf. My best rounds of golf, I shot 63 in a college round um, with with my teammates, and I I probably shanked eight balls on the range before I went out. No no yeah. lie. I hit the ball worse than I could possibly imagine on the range, and I couldn't have hit it better on the golf course. But that's a lot of times it's because you've removed your expectations and you're just going out and making, you know, making a swing to your target. You're not thinking about results. You're just you slow down a little bit. So – you know, just continue to focus on process and commit to your shots. And then when it goes bad, use use some visualization keys to kind of feel what a good shot would have felt like and visualize the ball flying to target and then forget about it. Just, okay, it's over. It's done with. Can't change it. Let's hit the next one. Right. Well said. You know, that's an interesting uh, statement, Michael, um, about on the practice tee and out on the golf course because most amateurs would experience the opposite. You know, most amateurs get on the, the, you know, their range game. I mean, they're they're competing in the Masters, but then they get out in the golf course, they're going to shank it, you know, a bunch of times or they're going to hit the big old slice or whatever, you know, problems that they're working on. So it's interesting. Yours was a different perspective. But, again, this, again, shows you somebody that understands and appreciates their game uh, and, and focuses on the, the different things. You're going to hit some bad shots as well. It doesn't matter what level of player you are. Um, but it's how you process it and what you do with that uh, as you move out onto the golf course. And I think the biggest problem that a lot of the amateurs take is, uh, again, they're, they're setting themselves up for a lot of doubt and a lot of, um, uh, again, a lack of confidence, if you will. They, they've already set themselves up for failure before they've even made it to the first tee. They're already thinking about two rounds ago or, or a tournament they played in last month and how terrible they played. So they're already, you know, the excuse train is already starting to, to roll on the tracks, um, as they make it way, uh, you know, in this this week's uh, event or this week's uh, tournament uh, or round, what have you, and I think that's uh, part of the problem with a lot of amateurs. Um, you know, Pete, I, I wanted to to talk as well. You know, a lot of players, I've, I've and I'm sure you've heard this, Michael. I'm sure you've heard this as well as uh, both Pete and I have, um, especially with some of our older players out there. You know, they've been playing for a lot of years. Maybe they've gotten in their own. Uh, type of slump, if you will, uh, and they're having a difficult time sort of reigniting that passion for playing. They used to play all the time. Um, you know, other issues do creep in that, that maybe uh, steal a little bit of their time if they've got grandchildren or what have you. Um, but a lot of it, I think, has to do is they're just they're not able to get over some hurdles in their golf game, whether it be um, you know their ability to, to continue to score well uh, as they once did and. And that passion sort of has gone. So, Pete, what can we do in a case like that to help reignite some passion 
uh, for some of these, particularly some of these older players or even some of the younger players that maybe are struggling right now? What can we do to help ignite uh, some of that passion and get them out there uh, and enjoying the game again? Well, I think one of the things that I've always gone to is a little competition is, is always fun. And I like to take them over to the green and we'll start with a little putting contest and then we'll move away a little bit and we'll, we'll chip the ball and then continue and put it all the way out and maybe pitch a few and just play small little holes around the green, just getting them a little bit of confidence to see, you know, they can play these shots. You know, we should get this up and down. This one should be, you know, maybe three shots from here from where we are and just get some confidence in those little shots to play. And, you know, I, we always, I always like to say I like to play for nickels because nickels are easy to play for. And, right. you know, a, a, just a little challenge to them. And then from there, um, I would take them out of the golf course and I said, well, let's start from 50 yards. You know, let's start from here. You know, what are you going to do to play in from here? And, you know, what types of shots do you see? What do you, what do you see you're going to do? And just sort of back them back into, you know, playing back to the full shots, the full holes, and, and just a little bit of uh, confidence and have a little fun competition with them just to give them, you know, some perspective on what's going on. And, and a lot of times they figure out for themselves that, you know, they really weren't that bad off. You know, they actually they actually yeah. did know how to play, but, you know, you just have to sort of to break the ice of the, of you know, you talk about doubt. Um, you know, it's it's going to happen, you know, and, and you're going to hit bad shots. But, you know, I, I always like to say, and, and I've done this before when I'm playing with them, you know, in the middle of a round, I'll just purpose, I'll just pop one off the tee and, you know, let it roll 20 yards, you know, and say, hey, it happens. Right. You know, and they're like, oh, you did yep. that on purpose. I said, well, no, I didn't. I mean, I just, you know, it just happened, you know, but just to give them an understanding, you know, you're going to hit some shots and then use it as an example. Say, now, what what would you do from here? You know, what, what's the next deal? Oh, I got to make up for that now. Well, no, no, you don't. You know, you just hit a bad one. You know, what I what, what's the what's a club you know you can hit confidently from here? Let's just take it, knock it down the fairway, and let's just play on from there. You know, so I think when they're when they're really down on on their their abilities to play, I think if you can just pull some of the parts of the game, have a little competition with them. Uh, I've always found that that's a that's kind of an easy way to to ease them back into playing and and get them, uh, you know, get them to start playing better golf. And, and it goes back to again when you talk about cause and effect. You know, if they're struggling, yep. do you understand why? And for the most part, you know, they may, they may not. And and if they do understand why, then I always ask them the the, the golden question: Do you know how to fix it? How do you fix it? Yep. Well, I don't know. I said, well, let's talk about it. You know, let's go through this. I mean, if you're making A, B, C moves, this is going to cause the ball to do this. So you're going to have to figure out from here, if you don't want the ball going this direction, this backswing is going to make it go that direction every time. So we've got to make a change. You've got to understand what that's all about. You know, and then, you know, yep. too, uh, being on the driving range, I like to play games out there, too. And I always like to tell them, too, they say, well, I can't take it from the range to the course. And I tell them, well, i got news for you, the range is on the course you're still on the course. Right. The driving range is part of the golf course. So, you know, why don't you make the range a little bit more lively, you know, and, um, you know, play, play a couple of holes uh, while you're warming up, you know, hit a few, hit a few short ones, you know, and, and that type of thing, just so they can, they can get a little bit different perspective uh, before they get out to play. You know, and again, some great points, Pete, you know, I think a lot of it, stems from and, and this is where again the confidence comes in you know I can remember and, and I still from time to time we all struggle with different areas of our game 
Um, and I don't care how much you get out there and practice and, and even how much you play, you're always going to have some, some days where things are just not, you know, all cylinders aren't firing. And, you know, one of the things that I see a lot of amateurs do is, you know, when they're out on the practice tee, they're uh, before they're about ready to go out on the golf course um, and play their round, you know, they're, they're wanting to hit their driver because they, they don't want to look foolish on the first tee. Um, they don't want to, you know, they know that they're not hitting it as straight as they'd like. So they're trying to, you know, monkey with everything on the practice tee before they're ready to go out in the round. And again, when, when things aren't firing in all cylinders, that confidence level drops. You know, one of the things, and, and I know I'm sure you guys would both concur with this, you know, if, if I step out and I'm, you know, practicing for a few moments before I go out to play, and if my driver isn't working at its best, um, if I want a confidence boost, I'm going to take out the club that I know is going to put me in position from that first tee uh, so I can start off my round in a positive uh, light. If I know that my driver isn't going to uh, get me where I need to be, if for some reason I'm struggling a little bit, why would I want to pull that club out of my bag and start with a negative right from the get-go? Um, Michael, what about that uh, idea there? Is is that a good thing, do you think, for the amateurs to do, to follow suit with that uh, you know, method, if you will, as, and, and not pull out a club that they know they're going to fail um, nine times out of ten with and work with a club that they, they feel confident um, that they're going to execute the shot properly and start the round off uh, better? If you don't have a choice. <laughs> Sometimes you have to yeah. better. You know, if, you, sure. if you have a choice, yeah, if you're more confident with three woods, heat up a little higher, give yourself a little more room for error, and, and hit a shot you're confident with. But, you know, that It kind of goes back to the go-to shot if you're, Go-to right. shot, like my go-to shot, to down a half inch, a little abbreviated follow-through, ball a little more back in my stance, and, and just kind of punch the ball down the fairway. I know it's going to turn right to left just about every single time. So I could aim down the right side and basically know mm-hmm. it's not going to miss right. And I have the whole width of the fairway to work with. Um, you know, but with, with the practice thing, I mean, I would be, you know, and, you know, Pete, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I think at least 90% of amateurs and, and a lot of professionals don't know how to practice the right way. Um, Absolutely. You know, uh, you know they, they, they go out there and hit ball after ball after ball after ball, and practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. So, you yep. know, I always write out performance plans for, for my players and say, all right, well, you know, for the first week after the lesson, I want 50% of your time to be what, what we call block practice, where, you're, where we're working on making changes to your golf swing. We're working on fixing the problem. You know, but only 50% time. So if you have an hour, take a half an hour at that time and, you know, maybe a nine iron, do some impact drills, you know, set up a set up a drill station and work on the drills that we're working on. And then spend 20, you know, 20 to 25 minutes of your time working on uh, variable practice where you're always changing clubs or changing targets. And then the rest of the time, play a game. You know, set up, you know, 150 yards. If you hit it within 10 feet, it's five. Within five points, if you hit it within 20 feet, it's four, and so forth and so on. You're trying to hit, you hit 10 balls and trying to get as high of a score as possible and keep notes in your journal. And, you know, it's always fun to try and beat your personal best. And you kind of get away from worrying about, am I doing this perfect? And you're more worried about getting the ball to go to your target. If I give you a ball and I stand in front of you and I say, hey, throw me the ball, you're going to think about how to do it. You don't care if your technique is perfect. You're thinking about the target and you're reacting to the target, even if I'm standing still. So right. getting that mindset and learning how to practice. And then as you start learning that move and fixing whatever the problem is we're working on, whether it's an over-the-top move, that grip, that's whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You start removing the block practice and spend more time on variable practice 
and, and games because how, how many times do you hit the same club twice in a row on the golf course? Hopefully none unless you hit it out of bounds. So hopefully zero. But on the range, that's all people do is hit the same club over and over again. They don't practice like they play. You know, an old, right. you know, a military mantra is we, we train like we fight. Well, I, I kind of try and teach my students the same way. Train like you play. So you don't play golf by hitting 8-iron after 8-iron after 8-iron. That's not how you right. play golf. You play golf hitting driver, wedge, putter, driver, 7-iron, something else. It, it, that's how you play golf. So, like, what he was saying, you know, play play a hole on the, on the range, doing something like that. But change your targets. And then to make it more fun, if you have a friend there, you can – one of my favorite full swing games to play with a friend is horse, just like in basketball. Call a green, hit it to the green. Person that's furthest away gets a letter, and you play until somebody gets yep. horse. And it's, you can right. play it over and over and over again, and you're always changing targets, you're always changing clubs, and you're practicing closer to what you're pl- to closer to how you're playing on the golf course. And usually that relates to better performance. And if you're playing games and you keep beating your buddy, even if you lose to your buddy, it gives you motivation to practice more. And if you're beating your buddy, it gives you confidence, even if you're still hitting the ball the same the same way. You know, but it's, it's you know, make it fun, make it interesting. And, you know, always change things up. The, the easiest way to be bored is to do the same thing over and over again. Right, and, and, and that's, a, that's a great point. You know, I, I think it's okay, um, you know, Michael, for, for uh, again, depending on the time frame that you're allotted. I mean, obviously most – uh, unfortunately, most amateurs, when they're coming to the, to the golf course to play around, um, give themselves very little time. I mean, you don't have to have a great amount of time, but they don't really have a much, uh, you know, time before they're actually getting ready to, to play um, to really warm up properly. And it's not just a matter of hitting golf balls, but there's, um, you know, we've talked about the physical side as well, stretching and, and warming up the muscles. Not, you know, one of the biggest mistakes I see is, you know, people scramble last minute to the golf course to, you know, coming from their job or wherever. Um, not giving them sufficient amount of time, and they, you know, they throw their golf shoes on and and you know get their their bag loaded onto the cart if they're taking a cart, depending on where they're playing, and you know they might be lucky to get out in the putting green or something for a m- moment or two, and they get out there with cold muscles, and you know even in in a warm climate, it, you know if you haven't worked worked up the muscles, if you will, and got them lo- and gotten loose and stretched a little bit, um, your muscles are going to be tight. They're not going to be ready and prepared to play a round of golf. So um, that's why I think also you see so many amateurs out there for probably the first three or four holes uh, play terrible. They're just not warmed up. They're not ready to play. Um, And there's lots of great things out there, guys, that, that, uh, you know, as instructors, we all uh, can instill them. Whether we specialize in it or not is is really irrelevant. We all have access to that information uh, and certainly at the very least can point them in the right direction. Um, and, and that's something that I think a lot of amateurs miss the boat on. I mean, you very rarely ever see a professional coming out there, um, you know, two minutes before they're about ready to tee off, um, unless there's been something major gone on, um, whether or otherwise, um, where they don't warm up properly and they'll stretch and do other things. They may not do it on the practice tee. They may do it before they get there so that when they're ready um, to get on that first tee to play in a, in a, whether it be a major tournament or a regular PGA or LPJ event, um, they're ready uh, and willing, you know, to get out there, and they've they've warmed up properly. And I think that's something that uh, a lot of amateurs fail to do. Uh, at least, you know, many of the ones that I've seen, and uh, we're all guilty of it from time to time. But I think if you want to improve better, 
I think you've got to, you know, look at all aspects of the game, not just how well you hit your drives or how well you putt. Um, you have to look at the physical side as well. Get out there and warm up before you play. Um, guys, just a final thought. Um, I'll give each of you, and then, uh, again, as I always try to do, let you guys, uh, let the listeners know how they can get a hold of you if they're interested in, in, uh, in reaching out. Um, any final thoughts on, on what we've been talking about tonight, Pete? And then, Michael, I'll let you go. Well, I think one of the things that's really important when you do practice, and Michael touched on it a little bit, is that there needs to be a purpose to it. It's just not hitting balls. I mean, that, that really mm-hmm. isn't going to do you any good. You, you have to have a purpose to what's going on. All of my players, I've broken it down into drills that go through all the parts of, of the game. And many of the drills, they don't even hit a ball. They're just working on different yep. aspects of things they're trying to do. And, and really – you know, if, if you have a purpose to the practice, then it's going to make major significant changes for you. Um, and you really have to, to understand that that's, that's really what you're trying to do. If you're trying to, if you're trying to get better and trying to make those changes, you know, you have to have a, a, a plan that you're going to work through to get those changes to happen. Um, you know, the, I've always said, you know, the, there's nothing like a, a basket of 100 balls to lull you to sleep. You know, you just get to yep. going. And, you know, somebody, somebody will say, what would you think of that one? I said, well, you had four in the air at once. Which one do you want me to fix? I mean, you're going so fast, I right. can't do anything to help it. I mean, you got to slow down. And, you know, i got a couple of guys that when, when I teach, I keep the basket with me. You know, I toss them one ball at a time because if I don't, they'll go a million miles an hour. You know, so you really have to understand what you're trying to do, the specifics of, of what needs to be done. And if you don't understand, then you need to find somebody who can help you to understand that. Um, you know, if I was going to go do any other sport, I, I would seek out somebody that could that could show me, you know, what are we trying to do and how do you achieve it? I know when I when I was working with John Jacobs personally, whether it was uh, on my own game or, or with the golf schools, he started everything off with what are you trying to do? What are you trying to do? Until you understand what you're trying yeah. to do, how are you ever going to know the relationship between the club and the ball to produce the shot? And that's what I always try to get everybody to do. And I walk up behind them and say, what are you trying to do? And they'll go through, you know, a series of things. And I'll say, you know, whether it's good or bad, some will say, you know, none of those things will get you to do what you're trying to do. I said, so you need to understand how to go about getting that type of shot or that type of impact that you're looking for. And and I think to a certain extent, you know, today it's it's a lot of the cause and effect isn't taught as much as it was before. Um you know, there's, right. there's a lot of different pieces, a lot of different technology, which are which are fantastic. I have it. I know Michael has it, and, and they all have their place. Mm. But we can't lose sight of, you know, the, the simple uh, impact, you know, club and ball relationship. I think, you know, the more they understand that, uh, the easier it's going to be for them to work backwards back to themselves to understand why they hit the shots they hit, whether they're good or bad. And then from that place, you know, how to go about fixing them. So I think if we, you know, can, can get a purpose to what's going on, understanding what that type of practice should be based on the impact and what you're trying to do, I think it's just going to be a more positive, you know, outcome. And it's going to make practice a heck of a lot more fun. There's nothing more frustrating than practicing something, doing something wrong and having no idea why. Uh, that's just frustrating. Yeah. You know, for me, I just stop and go do something else. You know, it's just not yeah, worth and- it. Yeah, and, 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 you know, as you, as you both have mentioned, you know, practicing with a purpose is extremely important because if you're, you know, it, you can hit as many balls as you want, but if you're, if you're not doing things properly, if you're, 
making mistakes in your practice session, all you're doing is you're repeating um, the same mistake again and again, and eventually it, it you know becomes part of your 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 muscle memory and and so forth, and um, you're defeating the purpose. So that's why it's important to to work with um, you know a, a good professional out there, connect with them, and uh, and let them help and and show you um, first off and foremost what you're doing wrong, and then once you're able to diagnose that, then um, you know, you can put some good drills together and things to, to be doing things correctly and, uh, and, and then be out there practicing, um, you know, in a positive way and not just reinforcing the same um, bad patterns. Um, Michael, what about you? Uh, any final thoughts you'd like to add uh, on tonight's discussion? And Yeah, I mean, I think just to piggyback off of what, what Pete was going on, I mean, I mentioned it earlier, always – you know, one of my favorite things with my students is always paying attention to your intention. If you go into a practice session and you have no idea what you're trying to accomplish, you're 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 going to accomplish exactly that, nothing. So you have to go into it and and not just go out, bang ball after ball, but you know, focus on. Too many people focus on what they don't want to accomplish, or get on a tee box and see water on the right and think I don't want to hit the ball in the water. Well, your mind. Right doesn't hear the don't want that, that it doesn't hear it all the mind is going to give you and what you're thinking about more often than not and i can't you know you get on a tee and you see out of bounds right ah, don't hit it there don't hit it there nine times out of ten falls going there or you're going to make yep. it so bad the other direction that it's not in play if you would just pick a target and swing to it um you know and just and if you don't hit it don't let it alter your confidence if if you, you know, if you were doing anything else in life and you just make a mistake, it's not going to alter your confidence or, or you know, think, oh, I'm, I'm such a bad person. I'm, I, I made one mistake. I, I don't, I, I can't do this anymore. That's not, that's not how it works. You, you realize it was a mistake. You move on, and, and that's it. So, you know, always paying attention to your intention. Realize that you're a human being. You're going to make mistakes. Um, and yep. just focus on the positive. Even if it's just one thing, it doesn't matter. It's one positive thing. And you just and if there are no positives, that's where you use visualization and and, and you know be be a kid again, play make believe. You know, kids have fun and they, you know, especially that's young right. juniors and they have a lot of fun because they play make believe. They they just pretend that they they just they're Tiger Woods and they're on the the final green at the Masters and they have a ten footer to win the Masters. And that's that was right. fun to them. That's why they got into playing the game. Rory McIlroy made a comment about it. Uh, last week when he was talking about the Ryder Cup, saying, you know, I got into playing the game because I wanted to win, I, I want to win tournaments, and that's fun to me. So get focus on that intention of whatever got you into the game. If it's just because you want to go out and play with your friends and have fun, well, remember, you're go- you're not Tiger Woods. It's okay. You're going to make hit bad shots. Just accept the fact that you're you're not perfect, and you never will be, and that's perfectly fine. And just go out, have fun. And like Pete said, find somebody that can help you fix the problem and then make sure you're creating a good plan. If you have 10 minutes to practice, get the most out of that 10 minutes. Don't just hit balls for 10 minutes because you're just going to make it worse. Maybe hit 10 balls right. and make good 20 good practice swings or 20 good drills and hit 10 balls. You'll get more out of that than you would hitting 40 balls in 10 minutes. So um, Well said. Well said. Uh, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, Michael, I'm going to let you quickly go first, uh, and then Pete, I'll let you uh, wrap it up. Um, how can the folks uh, that want to reach out to you, uh, Michael? How can they do that now if they're interested in, in connecting with you and and uh, letting you help them with their game? 
Yeah, so I'm on uh, Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. Uh, all the links are on uh, my website, michaelwheelergolf.com, all my contact information. You can also feel free to visit the Lake of Isles website at lakeofisles.com and our academy page. We have a lot of information there. Uh, we have a great location. If anybody you know wants to come up for a fun golf trip, we have uh, two beautiful golf courses, one private, one public, and located at the uh, Foxwoods Resort Casino. So we have golf, we have good uh, resort accommodations and we have some good casinos so you really can't go wrong um so uh if you need to contact me my cell phone number and email address is all on the website and uh find me on facebook um as well as twitter perfect um well uh, michael thank you and uh pete how about you how can the folks reach out to you uh, very much the same way. Our website is plainsimplegolf.com. That's P-L-A-N-E, plainsimplegolf.com. All my contact information's out there, and so they can go out uh, as uh, a lot of websites. There's links to fa- Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, can email directly, and you know, it's uh, with technology today, it's it's uh, easy to get to somebody no matter where they are. So you know, even if you're not in the same area, feel free to go ahead and contact. Uh, uh, I work with players all over the world, so it's 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 easy to do. The technology is a great thing to use. So, you know, if you have a question or anything, and you don't happen to be in the same area, that's okay. Go ahead and send me a send me a note, and we'll figure out a way to get it done. So, plainsimplegolf.com is where they can find me. Perfect. Um, well, gentlemen, as always, thank you very much for uh, for jumping in tonight on the Coach's Corner panel. I, I thoroughly, as always, I enjoyed the, the conversation and. And hopefully for uh, many of the amateur golfers out there, particularly that are tuning in tonight, and maybe even some of the, the uh, our fellow coaches and teach professionals that are listening to the show tonight, uh, maybe learned a little something as well, uh, uh, or at the very least uh, can help to reinforce some of the things that we discussed here in the show. So thank you guys as always, and I look forward to uh, having you come back on the panel next time. And uh, Michael, again, congratulations on the new job, and also congratulations on uh, the birth of your, your new little one. And uh, and uh, we uh, we appreciate always uh, you coming on the panel. And, Pete, uh, again, always a pleasure to have you both of you. Thanks for having us. Thanks. You bet. Thanks, Ted. It's always All right. a pleasure to be on. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great night and have a great weekend. You do you the too. same. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. That was my uh, very special guests on the Coach's Corner panel, Pete Buchanan and Michael Wheeler. And uh, you can find them on social media virtually everywhere. Uh, lots of uh, great ways to reach them, whether it be on Facebook or Twitter and, and uh, the respective websites. Um, looking forward to my next guest. Uh, this has been a long time in the mix uh, getting this uh, together, but uh, he's uh, was able to set some time uh, aside this evening to come on and join me. And that's, of course, I'm talking about my very special guest, uh, David Schultz. He's the founder of uh, Reality Golf. Let me just tell you a little bit about uh, uh, David's background, and then we'll bring him on the show. Uh, Dave uh, is a natural problem solver, um, which uh, is a man after my own heart. Uh, where, where others have tried and failed, he has always had the uh, innate ability to see a problem and fix it. He graduated summa cum laude at, uh, and first uh, in his class with a degree in electronic engineering at Cal Poly San Luis uh, Obispo. I hope I got that correct. Um, back in 2000, 2002 to 2016, he worked uh, in a leadership position with General Electric Corporation, managing construction, uh, justifying capital investments, and leading a team of 300-plus field service uh, and in-house uh, repair globally uh, dispensed employees, uh, developing and, and deploying uh, process improvements, and influencing culture uh, in support and support, excuse me, of a customer and service mindset. Uh, he has proven himself to be a successful global engineering leader, uh, product cost leader, and global 
sustaining leader with uh, responsibilities that expanded from single site to uh, international. Um, but always uh, through the process, uh, he has maintained a passion for golf, uh, again, which something we share. Uh, but he realized his game uh, had diminished uh, due to a lack of uh, interesting options that could uh, meet his schedule and timing needs. And we all sort of fall into that uh, in today's uh, economy. Um, but uh, as I said, he's not alone. Uh, the existing options for indoor golf, are, uh, in his opinion, were subpar. Uh, thus uh, was born uh, Reality uh, Golf. And uh, he invites you to uh, master the experience along with me tonight. So let me uh, welcome my very special guest tonight, the founder of Reality, uh, David Schultz. Can you hear me? Good e- yes, good evening, David. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, I just want to very quickly, before we start, um, David, I just want to read out something that, uh, you know, obviously before all of my guests come on, I, I like to go through their website and just kind of uh, um, familiarize myself a little bit with uh, with what they do. And, and uh, you obviously have a very unique um, um, approach to, to golf, uh, a little bit different than, than what we've experienced here in the show before. So I want to read out uh, your mission statement, if I can, and then I want you just to expand a little bit about it and, and sort of how Reality uh, Golf came about. Uh, and your mission reads as follows, to be the world's first authentically majestic indoor golfing experience, uh, integrating uh, simulation play and, uh, with live play for the short game within a real golf environment. I want you to explain first off um, a little bit about Reality Golf, how it sort of came about, and and why you feel this is going to be an integral way for people to uh, not only uh, practice a different way of practicing, if you will, but also how is it going to help engage uh, maybe some of those that don't play as much as you and I have maybe over the years. So how is that going to engage new golfers? How can we uh, help to grow the game that way? Yeah, no, it sounds good, uh, Ted. So, you know, at, at its core – uh, let me just explain the components of reality golf. So, so I had this idea about a year and a half ago and it, it was just about, you know, listening to 20 years of how the game's been declining in, part- in participation and sort of all the depressing mm-hmm. stories. Um, and then I saw the emergence of top golf and I saw it like a social golf experience that uh, everybody was enjoying, whether you play or you don't play. And, right. you know, my thought was, my thought was that, you know, that's going to be awesome and it's going to create a new industry, but there wasn't that much golf to it. So I started thinking about how could you keep all of that social model um, that top golf has proven, but put a real foundation Mm -hmm. of sort of a neat new golf game into it in a way where you could keep all those, you know, aspects that, that top golf was bringing to the table. And uh, Mm -hmm. so that was sort of the, the impetus for reality golf and, for 15 years, I've been, you know, aware of and playing in golf simulators, and as a golfer, always sort of found them pleasurable and enjoyable when I'm teeing off and hitting a full swing shot. You know, you get to watch the ball fly into a screen and see the computer pick it up, and, you know, I thought that's mm-hmm. fun, that's satisfying, but but as you approach the green, um, they lose both, um, they, they lose your interest a little bit there. You know, it's not quite as fun right. putting a ball into a screen and watching a virtual ball drop into a virtual hole. It just doesn't, right. you know, it never satisfied <laughs> me as a golfer. And, uh, and then also they lose their accuracy a little bit in that short range too. So mm-hmm. you, you know, and, and they've, they've all been working on that and they've been trying to improve it, but I just thought, you know, what if you could play golf from 40 yards and in or 50 yards and in, and then use golf simulators to, to bridge that distance. And, Right. You know, right away, it, it just seemed like a really good idea to me. And, 
so that sort of got it started and and I spent about three months you know reading all of these industry studies over the last fifteen years and and all of them reinforced that you know this idea of, of creating a shorter version of golf would would be attractive to the golf world and the non golf world if if I could do it right and and so I spent um after about three months, I realized that the business case was good, and I looked you know at, at what was going on in, in competition for a couple of months after that and realized that I was really the only person on the planet with this sort of big vision for, you know, how to almost create an alternate version of golf that could be played on a much smaller playing field. And it, it just kept me really passionate about figuring it out. So I've spent the last year, year and a half, sort of building the experience around those components. Um, and now I have a team. So I've hired a PhD software architect. I have, um, you know, big partners that, that we partner with we're, we're we're really right now we're on the verge of, of sort of turning the corner and capitalizing and you know you asked the question about why will non-golfers and beginners be interested in it and you know there's a lot to that you know because that's you know over the year of developing this i, I really asked anybody and everybody that would listen you know what's your perfect day on a golf course whether you've golfed or not and you know boiled it down to a few things but in summary, you know, something very social that, that is appealing to everybody, but also a game that can be easier for beginners, almost like playing miniature golf right. if you're a beginner, um, but but difficult and challenging like real golf if you're an expert. So on the short play area, uh, you actually figure out where to place your ball by using a, a laser beam that's going to be activated by a smartwatch that you're wearing. And so if you think about you've checked into the venue now as a beginner, the venue knows that. And so when it guides you to place your ball using this laser that you control yourself, you're only going to be given shots that you can handle. So you'll have, you know, a 10 foot uphill putt on a, on a country club quality green. Um, right. But whereas if you're, a, if you're an expert player, you'll have a, you know, a 30 foot downhill breaker is like, you know, uh, a very difficult shot if that's what you choose. And so, um, you know, and in the simulators, sort of the same thing. We've partnered with a company called TrueGolf, who writes the industry standard software for most of the simulator hardware companies out there in the world. And uh, we're going to create easier versions of the simulator, almost like bumpers on a bowling alley, you know, for beginners. So you've checked in as a beginner, right. you go play in the simulator, and your ball just gets a little extra help so it doesn't take you you know, 10 or 12 swings to get down the fairway, it still takes you the, right. you know, the two or two or three swings that it takes a player to get. So that's, that's sort of the mechanics of it. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's perfect. Um, David, let me ask you, you know, one of the things that, that is very appealing about um, the process that you've put together is this. Um, if you've played golf for any length of time, uh, you, you understand what areas of golf need the most work most amateurs and we talked about this in in the earlier segment um on the coach's corner panel tonight i don't know how much you were able to to tune in for but um you know a lot of amateurs go out and they're they're not focusing on the right things when they're practicing and you know i like the fact that you've incorporated and really focus on the short game of course you're covering the whole uh area of golf but you're really focusing on the short game and that's where most amateurs lose a lot of strokes and i like the fact that again as you pointed out earlier it's not something that you can really uh, effectively do in a simulator. The simulator can certainly, as you said, uh, on a full swing, 
you know, you can you can pretty much get it right down uh, to a T, literally. But uh, on the short game, it, it, it isn't. They fall quite short. But you've managed to um, get the best of both worlds um, with Reality Golf. Um, this is going to be something I can see, as you said, for a lot of non-golfers. Uh, and as you know, it, it's very intimidating for a lot of non-golfers to go out to a golf course, especially if they've never played before. They can't hit the ball very well. This is going to give them an opportunity to really focus on um, the key areas that they need to be before, as they're learning, as, a, as they're a beginner. Um, was this the general idea or concept when you were putting this together uh, of why you did it the way you did? Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it uh, you know, we launched this brand in February at the Golf Industry Show. We th- this Reality Golf is designed to be the solution to what's been keeping people away from golf. And mm-hmm. you know, the components made a lot of sense, but there's you know a lot more that you have to put into it to build a complete experience around that. And uh, you know, on the short game, long thing game thing. One of our partners, uh, one of the elements you need, in my opinion, to to create a, a really amazing indoor golf experience is you still have to maintain a level of majestic qualities that you feel when you're on a on a traditional golf course because that's a big draw right. for people is being, and and so I knew that early on and and I approached uh, I approached Nicholas Design I approached Gary Player Design and I finally ended up partnering with Robert Trent Jones golf architects right. and I that that was sort of my sales pitch to them is help me create this so the reason I shared all that is uh, a, a week or two ago at the um, U.S. Ladies Open which was played at Cordoba um, one of Trent mm-hmm. Jones courses uh, he was interviewed and, and asked about you know sort of reality golf and he said uh, he said you know reality golf is a place where you can show that a six-foot putt is equal to a 300-yard drive and, and I thought right oh, that's that, that's kind of a cool thing. And it was really super fun to hear Robert Trent Jones Jr. talking about reality sure. golf on, on the radio as well. Sure. I mean, again, obviously that was great, uh, great advertisement for, for you guys. Um, but I like, like I said, I like the concept there. There's a lot of, you know, one of the difficulties as an instructor, you know, we're all, we all talk about wanting to grow the game and, and, and opening up new doors. And, you know, in, in the men's arena, you know, of course, we we all follow the PGA uh, Tour. We see some of the young guns, and of course, we we follow um, some of our favorites that are now on the Champions Tour. Uh, and of course, the ladies, are, uh, the LPGA is doing a phenomenal job in growing the game in that area as well. Um, but one of the, the the disconnects is is getting new younger people into the game. Um, you know, when when I play, you know, and my father played years ago, you know, they. Uh, most people belong to, you know, either some sort of a country club or, um, you know, some other venue. And, uh, you know, that was a weekly thing. You went out and you played golf all the time. But in today's environment, um, the younger generation is, is more into social media and, and technology and things like that. So how are you able to bridge that gap, do you think, with Reality Golf? What what do you offer through your, your service, if you will, and through Reality Golf experience um, that you feel is going to help bridge that gap with with some of the uh, the younger generation that's out there now. How are we going to draw them into to your facility? Yeah, you know, so there's a couple of things. So, so this the facility is entirely driven by technology. So I I used to my wife and I like to watch Dancing with the Stars, and uh, I sure I'd be amazed I'd be amazed at what they could do with technology and set design in a small space and make it look and feel different over and over and over again. So the 
the entire back wall of this uh, of a reality golf venue is going to be a video wall like you would see you know on a big building in las vegas so there's you know you can put a concert up there and do stuff like that the every person so the venue that that we have in mind going commercial with we see a few different product lines but the the venue we've sort of settled on is is got about you know four to five hundred person capacity and and everybody that shows up is going to check out a a smartwatch as part of their experience and the Mm -hmm. smartwatch allows you to interface with the golf simulators interface with the live play area and also interface with each other so the the game itself using using technology becomes you know very social which is you know something right. that, that the younger generation is very used to um and the, the other big point is golf simulators themselves i read a stat a month or two ago that said that 98 percent of the people in the u.s or the world uh, <clears throat> if they don't play golf aren't even really aware of golf simulation technology where you're you're really playing real golf into a screen, so people get confused right. with virtual reality. Um, but but that technology is pretty amazing now. So the the software that's that's evolved around that, and we we have a little lab here in Anaheim where we bring people in that have never golfed, and immediately they think that reality golf is is just playing into a screen in a golf simulator, um, which is would be great, except for golf simulators have been around for 15 or 20 years, and they just haven't had that kind of broad appeal. So, um, right. But they have a lot of fun hitting hitting the shots they're hitting in there, and then and then when they realize they can go now spend some time outside, uh, you know, they get equally excited. I, I have a little nephew who's um, I don't know six or eight years old, and he was playing uh, one of the video games on TV, one of the hockey games. Um, where you're, you know, you practically feel like you're in the hockey game now. And and I right. was sort of explaining, rea- I, I was sort of explaining reality golf to him while he was playing that. I said, so now, you know, imagine if you could go outside and take that last slap shot into the net, you know, mm-hmm. for real. And, and, uh, and he was like, that's it. And, and he started jumping and bouncing off the walls for about 15 minutes. So, you know, by, by talking <laughs> to people over the last year and a half, um, you know, my son is, is just graduating college. And when I first sort of approached, you know, my son and his friends about this concept, they were the ones that really pushed and encouraged me to, to keep pursuing it. And I could just, you you just see it in people's eyes when you, when you have a good idea and and you explain it. And and it it was non-golfers lighting up and getting excited that actually became the project, right? It started out um, with my sort of desire to, to find a way of keeping my game a little sharper when, when mm-hmm. you know, I play five or six times a year on the real golf course, or I used to uh, before I changed my life. Um, and uh, I never was good on the five or six times because I wasn't playing all the time. And I, and I thought, right. what if I had someplace I could go? And, and, I you know, when you don't play a lot, you don't really have the inclination to go to a driving gra- range and really work on your game like you're a serious player. But if you had something more fun to do that also kept you tuned up, that was a pretty mm-hmm. powerful pop- proposition. So that was that was the original sort of impetus for the game was for golfers to kind of keep their game sharp when they're not able to play on the real course. But I got really excited when non-golfers started lighting up uh, as as the experience. So I, I got some 
really great, amazing advice from a lot of places early on in this project. And probably the, the biggest advice was it doesn't matter how good your idea is. If you don't build a complete experience around it, you know, it's not going to be as good as it can be. And so I, I really took that to heart. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of capital to get started with, so I just kept adding value to this concept until people with capital could see, you know, where I was going, and then right. the money started to follow. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, just to go back just for a second um, to the point you're making about the non-golfers, you know, one of the one of the difficulties, I think, in this industry, um, in, in the golf industry, has has been to sort of ignite a passion um, with with the younger generation. You know, they, they look at golf much like everybody did at some point that's never played before. They don't understand. They don't, you know, see the value or the point. Um, and they don't realize really the, the close parallel, if you will, in life that golf mimics. And, you know, as most people that have played for any length of time, you know, you're faced with many challenges out in the golf course, much like you are uh, in life. And overcoming those challenges has both its rewards and, and sometimes it, it's, uh, its pitfalls. Um, but it, it's it's something that we propel as 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 human beings. We want to you know strive to get better at something. And golf can be very very challenging for some. And and one of the the things that you know there's been all kinds of programs initiated uh, across the United States and literally around the globe uh, in trying to engage um, this newer generation. As I said earlier, you know my generation growing up. I mean I'm in my early 50s and and you know when I played with my father and and others in in my my uh, age range. You know, we grew up under a different circumstance, and you know, obviously, I watched uh, growing up, watched people like Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer and others uh, play the game, and and I was bitten by the bug because my father played, and it was something that I wanted to do with him. But this younger generation is 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 much different, and it, it's been very hard. I think the golf industry has had a difficult time engaging um, with with people out there that aren't already sort of born into golf. And what I mean by that is. Um, you know, there's lots of kids that get into junior golf, but it's because their parents were involved in golf or um, there was an experience that they had that, that uh, caused them to, to gravitate, where a lot of people have, as you said earlier, have no idea. They don't understand how to play golf. They've never had that experience before, uh, and they don't know anything about, um, you know, about the simulators and so forth. So I, I think what's unique about your concept here is it's allowing them to um, really use this not only as a stepping board, but uh, to to be engaged in golf and understand uh, how golf is played. But it gives them an early exposure um, at a younger age, but at the same time, it also allows those that have been playing for a while, as you said, to come back and, and work on their game when maybe they don't have the opportunity to get out on the golf course for, for a period of time. So you're really hitting it at both ends, and you're sort of bridging that gap, I think, with, with what you're uh, what you're proposing here. Uh, do you agree with yeah, that, you think? So, yeah, so let me give you a couple of thoughts on that. So one, um, golf is about sustaining your performance over a period of time, right? Everybody can get a birdie or right. a great shot, but but it's hard to sustain that over an 18-hole period. So it, it, it was important from a requirement standpoint to maintain an 18-hole complete score, and that's what everything in reality golf is based on. And the the unique thing, though, is because you're playing with technology and because the golf course is rearranged differently, you don't have to finish your round on one visit. So one of the great right. aspects that, that's going to sort of funnel people to real golf 
is it's still the measure, same measuring stick, right? It's how'd you do mm-hmm. on your 18 holes scorecard. Um, but, right. but you can fill, you can fill that scorecard up over three or four different visits if you want to. And, you know, it's also directly shot for shot, the same sequence of, of strokes that you're going through when you play real golf. So I, I have a theory that, that I'm going to be able to actually teach players the game of golf, real golf, inside reality such that the first time they go play on a traditional course they can shoot an 85 or or an 87 right so the very very first time they step out which is you know that that's going to be a much more positive experience for them and they're going to kind of know that they have that capability because they've already tested it in a you know in an alternate fashion um the other thing is this is going to be, you know, the capability to create a much faster-paced game and, and a, a much more technology-driven game. So as these venues mm-hmm. start to multiply, now you can have tournaments and all kinds of things that, that really allow this to become, you know, an industry standard sport in its own right. You know, I, I use the analogy of snowboarding, you know, for the ski industry. Right. It was sort of it was sort of struggling, and then snowboarding came around, and, and younger people were interested in it, and, and it sort of drove the whole industry north again and that that's sort right. of what i see happening with reality yeah and, and that you know that's a that's a great point because you're exactly right and and i guess this is really in, in a roundabout way what i was uh, trying to express as well is uh, you know there's nothing wrong i mean I, I think the industry has tried to um you know over the years has tried to to maintain the traditional understanding of golf. They want the, the game to be traditional and that, but I think in order for the game to truly grow in this day and age, um, you have to be willing to step out of the box. Now that doesn't mean you shuffle aside um, traditional golf and, and never to be played again, but it means you have to open up new uh, avenues and new challenges to bring people in that maybe at this time, now at some point down the road, they may gravitate and want to play more traditional golf um, out on the golf course. But we have to allow them uh, a way of being exposed to the game that may be of interest to them right now and then let it grow from there. And I think the golf industry has really struggled with that for a lot of years. And I think that you're filling, again, you're filling that void very nicely with what you're proposing. Um, Let me ask you, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead and finish your thought. I I was, I was just going to say, you know, there's a couple of great, articles that have been written over the last year uh, 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 both both from the wall street journal who tends to come out with like a full page article on on the challenges of growing the game about every six months and um, last summer last summer uh, john paul newport wrote an article called golf returns to the masses 600 years later and it's it's a really good article (laughs) and what it does is it, it actually it actually references that there used to be two versions of golf uh in Scotland, a short version for mm-hmm. the masses and, and the traditional version for for the more elite class. And, you know, I was just there at Royal Troon for the Open, and, you know, I was in these Scottish right. bars kind of poking around at that. And I, one of the guys told me a great story. He said he said they actually took that sport away because it was distracting the peasants. Um, right. They had too much fun playing, <laughs> playing the short version of golf. Um, right. So in a way, you know, I, I read that article last August, and it was literally within a few days – of the time where, where I had sort of completed my, my feasibility, if you will, on this project. And and I knew that I knew this was the right answer. And, you know, reading that article, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool validation. Um, And then about three or four months ago, I I think his name is Brian Costa, but he also writes for wall street Mm -hmm. journal. 
wrote, wrote an right. article that basically alludes to the fact that golf needs, you know, a shallow end of the pool or, or a, you right. know, a bunny slope equivalent of, of, of skiing and swimming to, to get people comfortable with the game. And, you know, I, I read that and I was like, oh, it's so, it, you know, it's really great validation. I, I've, I've been, even though we don't have the first facility built and it'll probably be another 18 to 24 months before we do, uh, it, it's been so clear to me that this is what the industry needs and this is the answer for so long now. And, and, and all of the time has been spent trying to figure out how to continue to, to, to shape it and the vision for it in a way where I could start getting the, the kind of resonance that's occurring now. And, and it's, it's really a, you know, it's really gratifying. It's a lot of fun to sort of watch people start to embrace it. And, and it's, you know, it's happening, you know, more and more every every day almost now. Well, you're, you're generating, obviously, uh, you know, certainly a lot of buzz, uh, you know, within not only the golfing community, but uh, in other communities as well for, you know, anticipation. That was actually going to be my next question was about, um, you know, if you have uh, currently a facility that, that's open now or when do you anticipate that to, to, to happen? Um, and, and you've obviously answered that. But So let me just expand on that a little bit further. Um What's your overall vision as far as, um, you know, obviously you're, I, I assume you're not just planning on one facility, you're, you're planning on multiple facilities, obviously for um, accessibility. Um, is this going to be a, a corporate, uh, and what I mean by corporate, uh, is it going to be corporately owned? Let's say, for argument's sake, you had 10 facilities across the United States as an example. Uh, are you going to keep it in a corporate format or are you going to franchise uh, or what's your thinking on that? What What is your plans, or have you decided yet? Yeah, no, I, that was a tough question for me to answer, you know, up until recently. But now it's it's pretty clear in my head now. I I, I see three very um, unique product lines for this concept. Um, one is this big ticket social golf experience, you know, with the giant video wall and and all the bells and whistles mm. that. That goes that goes into you know cities and suburbs almost like bowling alleys right think about proliferating bowling alleys all around you know the sure. world before they ever existed so that that's one type of product um, but but I also see a lot of so I just I, I'm working with a municipality right now just started in terms of putting you know on an existing golf course this mm-hmm. concept in a different way so the the whole model is scalable. So this big ticket version that you see on the website is, you know, the, the big one. Um, but, right. but it can be scaled back. It, it can be made smaller. And it's, it was designed, you know, to, to be as small as a tennis court. So mm-hmm. the second sort of product line I see is working with golf course owners to upgrade their clubhouse, their restaurant, their check-in counter, and, and also integrate, a total beginner golf experience and world-class practice facility into that whole mix. And I can already tell, I can already tell that once, once I've proven that we can sort of customize the solution for, for a golf course and can show that it's not only going to drive revenue into reality, but it's going to re-energize the the golf course revenues as well. Then I, then I'm Mm -hmm. very confident that's going to be, a product line and so think of that more like a franchise because if you're going to come in right on somebody else's property you know they're going to want to have more control over how it's run and, sure. and we're just going to want to manage we're just going to want to manage our, our brand presence um 
but but that big ticket item that that's going to be like a bowling alley my goal is to stay private so we're you know right we're, we're looking at how to how to raise money right now so you know all of the great restaurant chains that i love stay private for a while and you know like in and out right. burger is awesome it's got a great reputation it's yep. still private and you know and top golf is private and they're you know they're out you can control your destiny a little bit more so right the company yeah, I agree. I, the, the, the company i would like to remain private you know, at some point we may want it to, to, to go public, but it'll just be to, you know, be able to accelerate the, you know, giving this product to the, to the world faster. Um, and then the third product is, is think about, you know, very high net worth people. They're already putting these amazing practice facilities in their backyard. Um, I just right. saw, uh, you know, there, there was a picture a month or two ago of Mark Wahlberg's backyard and it's, it's amazing. And it, and it looks a lot like, you know, reality's live play area, which is why it piqued my attention. But now think about adding a golf simulator to that and integrating it all with technology into one complete Mm -hmm. game. And now you sort of have the ultimate golf simulator, uh, simulator, you know, home experience. So I, I, I see all three of those as, as product lines for reality. Um, once we get off the ground. Right. What do you think has been the biggest hurdle? Obviously, you know, it's important raising capital and that. I mean, you've spent a lot of time putting the concept together, of course. Um, And and obviously, you've you've now been going out and working with with various different um, um, capital partners and so forth. But what's what has been really some of the hurdles that you've had to to sort of uh, get over here in the last uh, you know while since you've been working on this? And and you said roughly about 18 to 24 months before the first facility is 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 up and running is that going to be one of the larger facilities or is that uh, are you going to be working on getting it into some of the 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 um uh, golf uh, areas like some of the golf courses and that is or where are you going to start first so i i, I kind of look at it all as additive I, I you know i've been with general electric for 20 years and and i you know i'm used to having a bazillion things going on and i'm just excited <laughs> to, to build I, I'm just excited to build this business, right? So there's, you know, the other side of this equation is is the economy and mm. the job market. Right. And, you know, I realized a year and a half ago that I have a lot more to give. And, and uh, mm-hmm. creating a business that, you know, takes advantage of everything I've learned in, in corporate America for the last 20 years and, and just sort of doing it a little bit differently um, I'm a big fan of people empowerment and, and, uh, and I've got my own sort of philosophy that's really worked well for me over the last eight or 10 years in, in corporate America in terms of, of getting people more excited about doing their job. And so I, I, right. I'm really interested, I'm really interested and excited about building, you know, the corporate structure around this. And if you, if you go back and study, you know, all of the actions that we've taken in the last year and a half, the, the the very first day I had this idea, I saw this mega solution. So I've every partnership that that we've made, every you know big step we've taken has been about creating a foundation for long term success. And you know, so I, I just I, I'm totally looking forward to to, to all of that. I, I I'm truly the epitome of enjoy the journey right now. Now some of the challenges <laughs> are that, you know my, my wife sure. thinks I have a brain tumor. Right. So um, yeah, obviously, obviously, when you when, when you jump off a cliff like this, it starts to create, you know, a, a sure. little bit of friction in other places. But, uh, you know, now we're sort of, you know, evolving. You know, our whole family is 
sort of evolved and, and you know, our, our, all of our worlds are a little bit different now than they were a year and a half ago. And it's, it's, you know, it's becoming right. more and more fun. So, well, uh, but I, I yeah, think there's, I mean, there's, there's, I, yeah, I every good idea. I, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead, please. Yeah. No, please go ahead. No, I, 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 I was, I, I was, I was just going to say, I don't even remember what I was going to say now. Go on. You were, you were being interviewed. You said you was in an interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I was, I was interviewed, and but I don't, I don't remember what my thought was now, and it wasn't that important anyway. That's so okay. That's all good. Let's that's okay. What, what I was, what I was going to say is obviously, you know, every everybody has to start with a good idea, and, and it is very difficult, um, you know, for somebody uh, on the outside to really understand, you know, until the vision start, starts to come together, and, I, and I'm sure, um, as you said, your your family's now sort of gravitate around this idea because now there's it's starting to see it unfold and it goes to even you know golf in general um, I know many many people over the years um, you know I've been around golf since I was seven years old uh, and I've been teaching here for for decades and, and one of the the things that the challenge that I always got was when somebody that has never played before never even picked up a golf club has no conceptual idea of, of the game of golf um, can be very critical, um, not understanding, you know, why would you want to chase this little white ball? It just doesn't make any sense. And I always say to them, you know, it, it's very difficult to visualize something that you've never tried or played. So I say, you know, go out and try it. Go out to the driving range, um, you know, hit a few balls, whatever, just to get the exposure. And then before you actually play, you know, connect with, with professional and and, you know, let them guide you if you will, and show you the basics, because once they understand it, and you know yourself, once you get out there and you stripe one, you know, down the middle of the fairway, you're hooked. And I don't know, I've never yeah, met a person I, yet that, do you know what I'm saying? I, so I think there's a, there's a couple of things. There's, there's, when you, when you swing through a ball and it just feels like right. cutting through hot butter, you know, there's just something right. about that feeling that, that, you know, hooks you. But the other piece is, is draining a, you know, a 50 foot putt or, you know, a, right. making it, you know, holding out a, a shot from 20 or 30 yards. And, and so those are, those are all things that, that you're going to be able to be able to experience, you know, away from the golf course in, in just a little different way than you can do with, with anything else that's out there. And then, you know, a big part of this is, is learning and teaching, right? So there's going to be a, a ton of, 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 of developmental stuff and, and we plan on having mm. you know pga professionals in in-house coaching you know and, and that kind of thing and and you know there, there's a there's a great uh child solution that most people have heard of called snag golf where you hit a tennis ball in right. the screen and it's sort of but but you know we're even talking about putting tennis balls on the tee in the simulator so that you know because we're working with true golf and, and we're sort of integrating the software together we can do unique things to, to make the kids experience even, you know, even better. Right. Exactly. Um, no, it, it sounds like a really, it's a well thought out, um, you know, concept that you've put together and obviously you're in the process of, of making it become a reality. And, and I, and I know that it, um, just from, from what we've discussed tonight and what I've read, um, that it's going to be a very successful platform. Um, one of the things too, David, that I wanted to talk about a little bit, just to give people an understanding, and, and you may not have gone quite this far uh, yet in, in the process, but um, what are people looking at? Uh, you know, let's walk through, if you will, somebody coming into the facility. Um, you know, have you sort of put together and I give an idea of what the costs are going to be as far as, you know, if I was coming to the facility, uh, once you're up and running, um, 
what's going to be the overall experience that I'm going to um, have? What's what's the cost? Is it is it a recurring cost? Is it you know a fee? Is there a membership? Uh, how are you planning on billing that out? Um, and and then I also want you to add on uh, once you've um, discussed that a little bit. Um, you, you talked about not having to complete necessarily a round. So obviously you're going to have an ability that people can uh, keep track of stats, if you will, or, or rounds um, that they can maybe share on social media or what have you. So you can obviously, again, build that out as well. But let's talk about the cost factor from, from customers and patrons that are going to be visiting these facilities down the road. Um, what's, what's your idea there? Yeah, no, you know, obviously – everything is just a projection at this point because you haven't actually built one. Right. But we've actually put, we've, we've actually put, you know, tremendous amount of thought energy into, into pricing. And one of my very early sort of requirements was I don't want anybody to be paying unless they're playing. Right. So I want people to right. be able to come enjoy the whole experience, enjoy the venue. So the venue is designed to allow people to enjoy other people playing and, and watch that experience. Sure. Um, which is going to be awesome, and you can do that, you know, while you're playing. So, like I mentioned earlier, everybody that checks in, whether you're playing or not, unless you really just say I'm not playing and I don't want it, um, is going to check out a smartwatch almost like you would your bowling shoes. And that, you know, that smartwatch sure. keeps your pro- it keeps your progress of your score. It it allows you to check into the golf simulator. It allows you to check into the live play. It you know when you check into the live play. It, it's got a little map on it that tells you where to go, and then you press a little button, and the spotlight comes down. Um, the 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 biggest b- before I talk about pricing real quick because I, I just sure. hit on this. That when I was when I was in the early development stages doing feasibility, um, talking to the simulation manufacturers and really trying to understand, you know, why haven't they solved this problem or why haven't they recognized the short game. Um, sort of decoupling because it seemed kind of common mm-hmm. sense to me. And, and uh, the answer was because you lose touch with the simulator experience when you go. So they, they, one, they said all of our customers are always, always asking us that because they don't find the short game, you know, stimulating enough. And, and second, right. they said, but whenever we, whenever we try it, it doesn't work. And, uh, and they said it doesn't work because of some sort of, uh, it's called like suspension of disbelief or something, but basically you leave that immersive environment and then you can't reconnect with it. And so I, I spent, you know, months and months and months focused on how to integrate the the two components in a way that would make sure that that risk doesn't materialize into a failure mode. And so there's so right. much, there's so much connectivity using these smartwatches between the various players in the venue and between the various experiences in the venue that you're not going there and you're not going to a golf simulator and you're not going to the live play. You're going to a, a seat almost like you would at a restaurant or a stool at a bar. Right. And so, so that's where you're, you're managing your whole experience from wherever you happen to be at that given time. And the way you pay is, you know, so most places nowadays you, you don't, really pay cash you you know you register your credit card and you buy tokens so 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 people will have credits on their smartwatch and 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 so if you've never played if you've never played before and you just want to barely experience the game to see what it's like you know you might come in and you might just put ten dollars worth of credits and and i'll tell you what that would get you um sure but the the whole the whole experience uh for the golf was designed to keep an 18 hole round I'll call it under $50 uh, 
around, you know, maybe $40 around. Um, right. Which, which should take, which should take about two hours, hour and a half to two hours um, to play. And, and, and if you think about what I told you earlier about the golf course actually acts as a handicap. So if you're a beginner, you get an easier experience than if you're an expert. Mm-hmm. The, right. The aim is for, the, the aim is for everybody to go in there and take, you know, call it 85 swings or 80 swings to complete a round. And then you, you keep increasing your experience level until you actually can do that in real life. Um, so it's a way right. of sort of catching up to the game, you know, and then obviously if you're a great player, you'll go in there and shoot 58 or something. Um, right. But, but then when you go check yourself into the golf simulator, one, it, it's kind of like you go into a fast food restaurant now and they give you one of those things that vibrates. So your your right. watch will actually your watch will actually vibrate when it's almost your turn. So then you'll go up, get out okay. of your seat, you know, go down to the simulator and you'll see your name on a flat screen TV. And then you'll you know you'll walk into the simulator and you'll take however many swings you need to take to take your ball from the tee box to 40 yards. And and the way you right. pay for that, it, it'll be a by the stroke charge. And you know the technology okay. will kind of capture your swings and charge you and it'll, it'll be about 50 cents a swing so if you think about now a round of golf you, you take you know 40 to 50 swings that's you know about 20 bucks call it of, of simulation cost for an 18 hole round um, and then when you're done with that simulation experience you can either go back to your seat or you can go directly to your short game aspect of that and, and mm-hmm. but it's a separate it's a separate experience so Right. When you check into your when you check into your short game, you do it on your watch, and because the whole venue is wired, um, and and you're basically wearing a GPS on your wrist, we're we're gonna know the venue will know that you've walked into the live play area, and, and that'll start a timer. And when you're on the live okay. play area, you're gonna, you're gonna be paying based on a a time based rate of about twenty yeah about twenty dollars an hour. Um, but you may okay. you may only be out there for five or ten minutes at a time, so you know if if you think about a typical visit to reality, you're probably going to spend if if you're you know if you're just there and you're just socializing and you want to play a little bit, you're probably going to spend ten dollars on the game and you're going to spend mm. you know thirty dollars on food and drink. If you're a player, right. you you'll, you're probably going to spend thirty dollars on the game and and ten dollars on food and drink. So. You know, right. I, 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 I see typically people coming in there during a visit, staying, you know, two, three, four hours and, and spending somewhere between, you know, 40 and $100, depending on, on their budget and their appetite and and whatnot. Yeah, and I, I like the, the fact that, that you're keeping the cost um, within a range that, that allows accessibility really by virtually everybody. You know, that's one of the other, obviously, arguments in, in the golf industry that you hear a lot of, or criticisms, rather, that you hear from a lot of people is is that, you know, golf is very expensive, as we all know, and, and not everybody can afford that. Uh, and unlike other sports that uh, are very, very low cost, there really has not been, um, you know, you can certainly go to the driving range, but again, you're not really having the, the whole experience. You're giving everybody... Uh, really a very accurate and true experience um, without actually stepping out onto the golf course um, through both the simulation and through the short game uh, area um, for really uh, about as much or less than what they would pay to go to a traditional golf course. So again, you're opening a door, I feel, um, 
to the average consumer out there that maybe is not an, an avid golfer um, yeah. yet anyways, no, and, 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 another, and giving them you know, the, right. The, the point I was going to make, Ted, on that is, is one of the requirements, you know, I, I, I gave up a 20-year career to go chase this dream, so, you know, I didn't do it lightly. Um, and uh, one of the criteria was profitability. So I spent a lot of time studying commercial models of, these like indoor go-karting facilities and indoor right. trampoline facilities and, and, and trying to create a game that could, could play at that cost point because you have a lot of families and kids, you know, sure. going to those places. Yeah. And, and you want to be able, and that's, that's my whole point. You know, everybody talks about where's the direction of golf going and, and, you know, there's really three, three areas uh, that are really going to grow golf. I believe um, number one, obviously, we're seeing a big surgence of, of women, uh, f- you know, golfers uh, of all types, uh, you know, from from stay-at-home moms to uh, corporate types. As more women get into the corporate world, um, they're understanding the benefits uh, of, of playing golf and, and having golf in their arsenal, if you will, uh, as a business professional. And then also, you know, even some stay-at-home moms that maybe want to uh, – that have husbands or spouses that, that play golf – um, they want to sort of partner up and, and do something to, to spend more quality time in a family. And then, again, uh, obviously junior golfers, we're seeing you know, some growth there as well. But I think the next logical stage is, is going to be family golf. I think you're going to start seeing uh, as more couples uh, spend time together uh, out in the golf course, naturally they're going to want to um, you know, have their kids involved, and, and some kids may not want to do yeah. that, but I think you're going to see that. So I can see where your facilities – um, could really capitalize on on that family golf and the fact that you're keeping the costs, you know, in in yeah. a, an area that that's not going to you know break the bank. Um, I can see you know a lot of families wanting to take advantage of that, not just your your diehard golfers, um, but families yeah, all no, saying, hey, you know, it, 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 we can come out. If you if we, we, we you know we started a, a Facebook page, uh, I don't know, four or five six months ago, and there's like a thousand people or so that that are following us, but we've We've started over that time, you know, people have started to interact with us a little bit more. And, and I've discovered that it's, you know, it, it's those types that are really starting to follow the progression of this business. And it's, it's fun to see. Um, I, you know, it's just fun to watch. The, 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 the best part about this whole project for me is that it's about delivering something amazing to the industry that I know, because I've, like you, I'm in my 50s, and I've loved golf since right. I was 10. And and mm. a year and a half ago, I said to myself, you know, the only way that, that this is really not going to be a big success is if I, me personally, don't have the ability to create, like, this most amazing, you know, fun, family-oriented golf right. experience on the planet. And I, I, I just thought, wow, if that's, <clears throat> if that's my – if that's my challenge, I accept. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and that's, that's what's sort of driven me, you know, all along. And, um, so no, it's, it, it, think about the smartwatch again, from the standpoint of what mm-hmm. you just said with families, you know, right. you're going to have, you're going to have a four-year-old and they're going to be able to map themselves to the flagstick that you're also playing to, but you're going to go right. somewhere else than they're going to go. And you're not going to have to, you're not going to have to tell them where to go. They're, they're going to be shown where to go through technology, but they're going to show right. up, you know, five feet from the pin that you're playing 20 yards into. Um, and and that, that's 
fun, right? You know, you're right. Your your little your little one standing up there by the flagstick, you know, without you having to do anything and uh-huh. watching you hit your hit your beautiful shot, you know, into the hole. Right, exactly. Well, and that's what I'm saying is that that's sort of the natural progression, I think, of golf uh, in the future. You know, you're still going to have your traditional golf and and you're going to have other, um, you know, opportunities um, through junior golf and and so forth for um, I mean, that that I don't believe is ever going to die out. Um, But you can't thrive on that alone. I don't think in this day and age, there's just too many other variables out there. And I think that, you know, like every other industry, you have to be willing to grow and adapt and make changes. And it sounds, you know, through your concept of reality golf, that you're, uh, you know, you're opening up a new niche, if you will, in the golf industry. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that uh, it's going to be very successful. And, and I look forward to, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, being involved more as, as you get closer. So, um, David, I want to thank you for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. It, it, it's uh, been an enjoyable, uh, you know, hour here talking with you about uh, your concept, Reality Golf, and I know that it's uh, it's going to be a reality uh, a lot sooner than we, we uh, than we can uh, understand. But um, I wish you all the success on it, and please uh, please keep me updated on it. And if there's anything I can do to help um, continue to spread the word, uh, please do not hesitate to to reach out to me. No, I sure appreciate it, Ted. It's, uh, you know, the, doing something like this has, has been a real adventure, and and you know, other people's time and getting people to listen and and just just you know, pay attention to you is probably the biggest challenge that there is in in any process. And sure. uh, so I, I, I'm just so grateful that you know people are starting to listen now and 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 you know, kind of see where this is headed. And it's it's mm. it's really a fun stage to be in. It's a lot more fun than that that stage when you're desperately trying to, you know, right. <laughs> to claw forward. So, so where you are you planning? On, I appreciate it. No, my oh, my ahead. pleasure. Where are you planning? Yeah, where are you planning on uh, launching your your first uh, facility? Where where what's your thought process there? So I I believe it's going to be one of three places. It's either going to be Boston, Massachusetts, uh, Dubai, or Las Vegas, and I've got, you know, sort of some teams of people in all three of those locations that see the power of this solution and are actively, you know, helping me in those areas to identify, you know, physical addresses and opportunities with developers and and everything. And, you know, people people are just coming out of the woodwork, Ted, to to sort of help me help me get this thing in place. And it's uh, I've got I've got a lot of bandwidth, so I'm, I'm just. I'm just excited to, that we're at this stage and I, I'm chomping at the bit, you know, to, yeah. to find a, a physical address to put it at. Well, fantastic. Uh, again, David, thank you very much uh, for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. It's, as I said, it's been an interesting conversation and I enjoyed learning more about, uh, about your business and I look forward to, to hearing more. So, uh, again, please keep me posted. And, and again, um, as we get closer to that, that um uh, to that grand opening, if you will, um, again, reach out to me and, and I'd love to have you come back on the program and we can, uh, we, we can celebrate together if you will. Uh, and maybe we'll get some of the other, uh, partners and, and, uh, components to your, to your business involved and get them on the show as well. Um, as we no, I, I would love it. So, 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 so I, I still am telling people we're still at that stage where, you know, I kind of watch people that follow us on Facebook and I've already invited a couple of them to the grand opening. You know, it's part of, part of having the fun is if I see somebody, you know, paying a particular attention to the project and sort of interacting, right. I'm like, you know, 
I, I feel so good about that. I, I reach out to him and I say, Hey, why don't you, you know, when we get this thing off the ground, I'm bringing you to the grand opening. So, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe you'll fall in that category as well. And then maybe some of your listeners will. Well, I appreciate that. And, and uh, I would certainly uh, would look forward to that. Um, David, again, all the best. Uh, keep me posted. And again, thank you very much for being my guest tonight on golf talk live. All right. Cheers. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, that was my very uh, special guest, uh, David Schultz, founder of Reality Golf. Um, it sounds like a, a great concept, and I look forward to uh, learning more, as, as I know you do. And I appreciate him giving, uh, giving me some time tonight and coming on the show. And, and uh, if you want to, uh, to learn more, um, as he said, he's on Facebook. Just uh, look for Reality, and it's R-E-A-L-I-T-E-E. Uh, golf. Uh, I believe the website is realitygolf.com, and uh, you'll learn more about what uh, what we discussed about tonight. And uh, as I said, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, to the uh, initial launch, and uh, I, I might uh, make a point of uh, of uh, definitely attending that. Um, also, want to thank again uh, Pete Buchanan and Michael Wheeler for joining me on the Coach's Corner panel tonight. They did a fantastic job as always. Uh, enjoy their. Uh, thoughts and input into the game and uh, and sharing that with my audience and uh, again for any of you uh, out in the golf industry that might be tuning in tonight or tune in uh, later on the recorded version uh, my invitation is always open um, you're welcome to uh, to reach out to me my email address is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com if you're interested if you're in the golf industry whether you're a coach teacher professional or somebody uh, that maybe has a great uh, product or a concept like uh, my special guest David Schultz did tonight, and you want to come on and share that with my audience, I would love to, to have you uh, uh, join the group. And again, you can reach out to me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't thank uh, the many supporters and sponsors of the program, Mr. Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide. Um, go to southcoastgolfguide.com uh, to learn more about really a, a, a great publication in the southeastern part of the United States, um, Jonathan has been uh, working diligently over the last uh, several decades, putting this publication together and, and uh, informing uh, all of you golfers out there that uh, visit the southeastern part of the United States, especially down uh, in Mississippi and Florida and Alabama and, and other uh, parts in between. Um, some of the great, uh, great courses that are available to be played. And uh, you can get all of those and, and more uh, in a copy of the South Coast Golf Guide. Uh, you can reach out to uh, Jonathan through his website, southcoastgolfguide.com, uh, and request a copy. Or you can visit one of the many uh, golf courses in the southeastern part of the uh, United States from Texas right over to here in Florida. Uh, and you can go in and uh, some of the major resorts as well. But you can go on to... Uh, the website and and find out where you can get yourself a copy and I believe Edwin Watts as well uh, is carrying uh, the copy of the guide as well and there's lots of great information in there and lots of great courses uh, with their information in there as well to, to find in his um, in his publication so again thank you Jonathan Laird uh, for all of your uh, thoughts and input into the program and and your continued support uh, again that southcoastgolfguide.com uh, Meredith Kirk of course a great golf uh, teacher professional and she was the 2014 Mrs. South Carolina uh, winner, and uh, she's been a guest on the show a couple of times, and she's going to be coming in uh, here in the months to come as well. She's got a new book that's going to be coming out here shortly, and uh, she's going to come on and talk about that. And, of course, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland, thank you very much for all of your continued uh, help and support in spreading the word. I appreciate that. And, of course, my good friend, Mr. Bernie Pinder, 
um, president and founder of Ontic Golf, a great line of custom putters, which I'm a proud owner of. Uh, OnticGolf.com is his website. Make sure you go and visit and share the uh, love, if you will, with, with Bernie. And uh, check out some great, uh, great putters. If you're in the market for a new putter and you want to uh, purchase one, go to OnticGolf.com. You can actually order right through the website as well if you want. Uh, and it's a customized putter, and Bernie will be more than happy to put one together for you. Uh, Sean Kelly, owner of LinkedGolfers.com, uh, a great website as well. Uh, Sean Kelly, of course, is the um, uh, developer, if you will, of Linked Golfers on LinkedIn, uh, which is a large social media for business professionals. Uh, that's the largest golf group on LinkedIn, uh, Linked Golfers. And uh, he's taken that out uh, as well uh, from not only on LinkedIn, but uh, on his own uh, site, linkedgolfers.com. And, of course, my good friend, Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions over in Ireland, a great uh, teach professional and a great club fitter as well. Thank you, Peter, for all of your continued support uh, for the show. And, uh, again, I want to thank and take this opportunity to thank, of course, all the listeners worldwide for faithfully tuning in to Golf Talk Live each and every week. We've had a few hiccups here. In the last few weeks, uh, not only here on Golf Talk Live, but uh, also on the Women of Golf show, uh, had some issues, of course, some technical issues, and hopefully we've had those resolved now. Um, so I thank you for very much uh, continuing uh, your support and, and listening to the program. Uh, go to blogtalkradio.com, and you can type in on Tuesday mornings from uh, 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can type in Women of Golf and join uh, both uh, myself and uh, my good uh, partner and co-host on the program, uh, LPGA professional legends tour player, Cindy Miller. Uh, that's uh, Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, tune into the Women of Golf show. We've got some great uh, professionals coming up uh, in the months to come. And, of course, joining me Thursday evenings from 6 to 8 p.m. Central or 7 to 9 uh, Eastern Time here on Golf Talk Live. Again, that's at the blogtalkradio.com network. Just type in Golf Talk Live and join me Thursday nights from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. Um, so tune in next week uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, for another uh, episode of Golf Talk Live and uh, an exciting Coach's Corner panel and another uh, interesting guest as well on the second half. So be sure to join me. Um, have a great weekend, everybody, and I will see you next week here on Golf Talk Live. God bless and have a great weekend.